Welcome to From the Booth, the podcast sponsored by BYU's International Cinema Program. On this podcast, we preview and analyze the films playing at International Cinema. We're still in the middle of the COVID-19 shutdown here at BYU, but IC is continuing on with a virtual program, so the podcast is going to carry on as well. If you want information about how to sign up to stream the rest of the IC Winter 2020 program, we refer you to our website, ic.byu.edu. Unfortunately, only current BYU students, faculty, and staff will have access to the streaming that we provide, but a good number of the films that will be coming up are available through other streaming services as well that might be available to you. I'm Chip Oscarson, co-director of International Cinema. Joining me today to preview the films that will be coming, I have IC assistant director, Marie-Laure Oscarson. Hello, Marie-Laure. Hello. And IC co-director, Mark Yamada. Great to be here. We're all in our uh, different offices today, being socially distanced from each other, I suppose. That's why we're being responsible. (laughs) Today we'll be reviewing the films for the 1st to the 4th of April that will be streaming through International Cinema. We remind you that in our preview shows like this one, we promise to give you some background and suggest some things to look for, but no spoilers. The spoilers will save for our Week in Review episodes when we talk about the films in a little bit more depth. The films that we're going to be talking about today include Hunt for the Wilder People, a 2016 comedy by Taika Waititi, set in New Zealand and in English. We have Shadow, a Mandarin-language wuxia film from 2019 by director Zhang Yimou. And Ramen Heads, a Japanese-language documentary by director Shigeno Koki about ramen like you have never microwaved it before. Um, Let's start with The Hunt for the Wilder People. This is our second Watiti film this semester. We're actually going to replay this as well as part of our fall program, just because not as many people are going to have access to it right now. Marilor, what's interesting about this film? Well, many things. It's the story of Ricky Baker, a young teenager who is completely rejected, was abandoned as a baby, and is going from one foster home to another and does not find acceptance but we, we meet him in that state of like really kind of a despair as a, as a teenager. And he's placed on a farm with Bella and Heck. So this is the story of his relationship with this couple. And it's cheerful. It's well made. The acting is excellent because it is not a new story, right? It's, it's some kind of a road story, travel story without a road, really more like on a path in nature and in the wilderness. But it feels like Taika Waititi does not fall in all the cliché that he could have fallen into thanks to the very witty dialogues. It is funny, it is touching, it's moving, and the acting is like flawless. We love those characters, and the story is very touching at times. There is a there's a car chase, there's a wild boar attack, It's divided in 10 chapters, a little bit like a book, actually. Yes, maybe a story that um, you can tell to to children. So a lot lot to to see in this film. It is tragic at times, but it feels like, look at how tragedy is dealt with in the film. Are the characters defined by tragedy or are they defined by something else? It is a coming-of-age story, but how is it different from other coming-of-age stories? And then how do the characters find acceptance? I think one of the things I really like about this film, too, is the setting. Uh, It's set, as you mentioned, in New Zealand, but it's in the bush in New Zealand, too, right? That uh, I don't think I'm giving away too much to say that Ricky and Heck have to to go on the the run. And they're they're hiding out in the bush and that this experience in, you know, in the wilderness is, you know, kind of forms the backbone in a lot of ways of the of the film. It's where the, the title, of course, you know, comes from. But 
it's kind of a critique of civilization as well, right? That, you know, what is it that we gain, you know, in our, through our modern conveniences and what's lost, particularly in regards to, to human relationships and the way that we relate to each other. So our relationship to the natural world has everything to do with our relationship to other people around us and the way that we relate to, to human community. Yes. And in that chase in the in the wilderness, we'll see that Child Services Paula, who is actually played by the, the actress who is the voice for the grandma in Moana. Her voice is just so beautiful. But anyway, mm. she's a bad social worker and she really focuses on on the flaws that Ricky Baker has. And so in that in nature and in that chase, uh, there is a transformation. Um, Ricky and Heck are are really transformed by that adventure and time spent in nature. Can't say that much about um, the society they return to, but at least they're changed people. Yeah, it'll be fun to watch a film. We, we just watched Jojo Rabbit by Taika Waititi, which might be his most complete film. And so it'll be fun to go back and see an earlier film where we're going to see his his style developing and um, kind of his his... Uh, sense of the world and characters. So it'll be fun to see that. Yeah. And everybody can look forward to a cameo appearance by the film uh, director and writer as the priest who gives like the worst eulogy I've I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) Or the best, depending on how you you look at it. (laughs) Sure. Yes. Something something to definitely uh, smile about. Yeah. I have to admit the first time that I saw this, I, I kind of was scratching my head a little bit. I mean, it was clearly a comedy, but I, I felt like I was kind of missing something. But it's one of those films that you watch it a second time and you just find yourself deep belly laughing. And I mean, the, the comedy is is really, really good. And it it's a film that withstands multiple watching, you know, again and again and again. And I think yeah. it's one of the most quoted films by some of our, our children, particularly teenagers. <laughs> yes, and actually, I would say, watch it with your children. They will get the humor right away because they did yeah. open my eyes as well. At first, I was like cringing a little bit. It's like, oh, but now I think it's, 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 it's so fun. Yeah. Well, our next film that uh, we're going to talk about today is Shadow by director Zhang Yumu from 2019. That Zhang is a, a a director that probably people are familiar with. He's part of what's known as the fifth generation of Chinese filmmakers. It was that generation in the 1980s that really brought Chinese film to international prominence, kind of marked by a certain rejection of social realism that had marked a lot of of Chinese films up to that point. He debuted in 1987 with Red Sorghum, but he also directed Raise the Red Lantern and Hero. All of these films were nominated for Best Foreign Film. Uh, as well, House of Flying Daggers. So he's a, a fairly well-known uh, entity when it comes to international filmmaking. Uh, a lot of people talk about this film as one of his best, absolutely best wuxia films. And it's you would think it's a, a genre that in some ways has, you know, that can you come up with something new? Uh, it has a lot of the familiar kinds of tropes um, that you find in, in wuxia. But what he tries to do with this film is, I think, kind of interesting in that instead of, of continuing kind of amping things up with more and more over the top, you know, kinds of decor and, you know, decoration, set design, visuals, things like that, there's a kind of minimalist style that that finds its way in here. Now, to say that it's it's not minimalist really, but there's an inversion uh, here. Instead of these really kind of rich and lush interiors, it's the exteriors that actually get more of the attention but there is this reduction of color down to almost black and white. Yeah. Uh, and so he really is, is interested in, in pairing this down to get something that is very stylized uh, throughout. 
Uh, yes, with a lot of red as well, a lot of blood. I would say it's it's quite violent and uh, very very beautiful. <laughs> but like, even the blood isn't particularly red. I mean, it's you know they they kind of has gone through this you know these filters that that reduced. I mean, there's really no color that you know that ultimately yes. stands out. And this, of course, is playing into the theme of the of the film itself. So the idea of the shadow is that there's something that's real and there's a shadow, right? And mm-hmm. and it can be difficult to differentiate between what's the real thing and what's the shadow. And, and so this is, is one of the, the central themes that are, are playing through. But then this is in turn kind of expanded out into this play of all kinds of opposites. So of course we have black and white, as I've already mentioned, we have yin and yang, we have male and female. And the, the question that we're left with all the time is that, again, what is, what is real? Where is the substance between these things that we're constantly being asked to choose between two different alternatives? And it can be difficult to know where our firm footing is. And of course, he he has some really nice twists and turns. True to Wuxia, I mean, it, there is a lot of sword play. There is, uh, there is blood. But the story is not just kind of a background for the action. The story itself is incredibly convoluted <laughs> in its own kind of way. It's about palace intrigue. And so there's these different narratives that are kind of woven into each other that are, again, playing on the themes that I've mentioned about this blurry line between reality and fiction. In fact, that we're the very opening scene of the film, uh, we're, we're told that, that Madame needs to make the most important choice of her life. And it kind of leaves it ambiguously. We don't know what that choice is going to be. And then we get the whole film to find out that back. So the film begins and ends with this moment of, of indecision of, or, or, or need of decision, kind of choosing between certain alternatives. And I think that, you know, especially those of our viewers who are, who like Wuxia, who, you know, are into kind of these martial arts, you know, films, they're going to like this period piece. It's, it really is a beautifully done film. Uh, it really is striking. That's got great critical acclaim, largely because of the, of the visuals. Like a paintbrush. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's definitely a film that you have to pay attention to in the beginning because the plot is, and there's a lot of information that's kind of given up front and then by the end it kind of resolves itself through more action. But yeah, definitely you have to kind of watch carefully from the start. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Don't miss the first 10 minutes. You'll you'll never figure out. (laughs) Very complicated story, yes. Well, Mark, why don't you tell us a little bit about Ramen Heads? Yeah, Ramen Heads is a new documentary about ramen and kind of the culture of ramen in Japan. Um, there's no shortage of, of food documentaries. I think this is kind of one of the biggest, you know, most popular genres on Netflix and some of these streaming services where you have travel shows and food shows, and they're all really good. I think what's great about this documentary is that it's actually made in Japan. It's not a Western view of of Japan or Asia or, or anywhere. It's, it's a film that's made uh, within the culture. And so I think it has a little bit of a different take. I think sometimes there's, there's certain conventions that go into food shows that we watch in America. And, and you'll see some a, a, maybe a different style to kind of capturing uh, this culture. And it centers on a ramen shop in Tokyo, near Tokyo, the owner of the shop, whose last name is Tomita. So it's Tomita Ramen is the name of the shop has won uh, the best ramen in Japan award. I think it's like three years running. So a number of years running, which is no small feat, right? Because there's, you know, tens of thousands and maybe even hundreds of thousands of, of, of ramen shops in, in Japan. And so he's uh, known for being kind of the king of ramen. And so it, 
It's a documentary that looks at, you know, it starts by looking at his shop, which is really kind of this tiny, you know, maybe 10, 10 seat shop uh, where people come and they line up for hours and, you know, try to get in. And it starts with that. It really looks at kind of the culture of eating, the culture of food, and really a culture that that turns this, you know, and I think in, in America, we're, we're thinking of ramen as this, you know, this this microwavable, like you said, this kind of instant, you know, dish that is, is so easy to make and something that, you know, we don't really think of as high cuisine, but I, I think this kind of gets to a little bit of, of the, the idea of cuisine here is that it's it's taking something that's so mundane and everyday and kind of a cheap dish and showing kind of the obsession that can kind of go into making it something that is really high quality. And so, you know, I, I think if you're not used to kind of Japanese obsessiveness with food, then it might be a little bit of a strange thing. It gets almost comedic at times, you know, this, this way in which it becomes, you know, obsessing over ingredients to a certain degree. But I think people who are foodies will really be able to, to relate to this idea of the way that food can kind of really take on such a huge you know, thing in the people who make it, th- their lives, as well as, as consumers um, who, who enjoy it. I think that the idea of a, of a film like this made in Japan, like you said, as opposed to American filmmakers going to Japan, that, that's one of the things that makes this really interesting. Because um, yeah. you, you get a little bit different sensibility. I mean, Americans have a different relationship to the food. Yeah. And so how we engage foreign foods is, is going to be different. And so meeting it a little bit more on its own grounds that has a lot of appeal yeah yeah a foreign language documentary that that's um you know about food i think it's something that we don't see a lot of and so it'll be fun for audiences to watch it i mean if you're a foodie you have to go see it it's you know it's it'll make you hungry you'll have to kind of run out i'm kind of lunchbox did for indian food right i mean you have to go you have to run out and and get ramen after but yeah it's one to uh, not miss yeah All right. Well, thank you. Uh, Thank you for joining us today on From the Booth. Our podcast is produced by the International Cinema Program at BYU, which is supported by the College of Humanities. The hosts and guests of this podcast are solely responsible for the opinions and ideas expressed here, as they don't necessarily represent any official position adopted by the university or its supporting institutions. Thank you to Jojo Hegstrom-Pratt, our sound engineer, for his help and support. Look for our Week in Review episodes for discussions about the films that have already played, where we talk a little bit deeper about the films. Once again, if you're a current student, faculty member, or staff at BYU, you can get access to our virtual IC program for the rest of the semester by following the instructions listed at ic.byu.edu. Stay safe, and we hope to see you at International Cinema sometime soon. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark Marley. See you next time. Thank you.